Welcome to the Agile Wire, where professional scrum trainers Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky discuss agile topics. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky. And we are recording. All right, Bubbles, kick us off, man. All right, so this week we have Beth Davis on the podcast with us. Beth is a HR expert and is really, right? I would say that. And uh, and, uh, she has been doing a lot of work in the agile space with HR. And so, Beth, why don't you give us a little background about yourself, and then we'll jump into the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jeff and Jeff. This uh, it was fun. I was on a call a few weeks ago with four Johns, so we may have to like get code names going here. Um, but no, thank you guys for having me. I um, so I'm uh, here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, born and raised, and um, yeah, HR expert. Well, thank you. Um, I, I do um, feel like there is an important role that HR plays in, in agile, and and just how I kind of got into this space, so to speak. Um, I maybe was raised professionally in, in an HR environment that was non-traditional almost 20 years ago. And, and we were called people development back in 1999. And, and we got to work with the business and figuring out our culture and our people practices. And so, you know, 20 years ago, I felt like, oh, this is great. I love this. And then I landed in more traditional HR organizations and was always kind of bumping up against some of that traditional mindset um, and, and respecting, you know, some things that can't be so flexible, like our laws and, and whatnot. Um, I then met my now husband uh, about 10 years ago, and he was talking about extreme programming and scrum and, and just these ways of working in product development. And I kind of stepped back and said, well, wait a minute, that's how I, I like to work that way. And I think there's a lot of value in, in running HR projects and initiatives that way. And then as I got deeper into learning about Scrum and working with teams that were looking to implement the framework and also companies looking to make this shift to be more agile from a, just a mindset shift, it occurred to me that there was so much in our profession that had to um, adapt to be more agile friendly. And how do we make that okay to not disrespect the heritage of the profession, but bring it forward in a way that's more helpful. So I have loved it. I've gotten through tons of scrum trainings and got certifications and just very, um, I would say obsessed (laughs) with bringing agile HR forward. Um, and particularly here in the U S uh, because there's been a little bit of a lag. I think, um, there's pockets of things going, but I think we have a ways to go. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. When I think of Agile HR, I think of two different things. So there's like the, you know, agile teams that are also HR specialists that are kind of working together in an agile way. And then there's also like how to, from an HR standpoint, do you support product development agile teams? And have you worked with both of those areas within organizations? And, you know, what's your experience been um, addressing both those, those situations? No, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, Jeff. Um, so the answer is yes. Um, so on the easier side, um, using scrum for HR has, has been so much fun for me. I actually, um, have run HR and people development functions using scrum and having it as a, as a strategic way to not only deliver right on the employment experience, which is our product, um, but also engaging internal employees and managers in the creation of, you know, everything from policies to handbooks to re-implementing systems. So that's that's been a lot of fun. Um, and then on the other side, as a consultant or a business partner, uh, similar. And I think what, what has happened um, in organizations I've worked with or for is there's this maybe misconception of why would I involve HR? Uh, so I did a talk with Scrum.org a couple, almost two years ago. 
And one of the survey questions was, you know, in your agile journey and your scrum, you know, uh, work, where is HR in supporting you? And and I would tell you of the hundred or so people that were on almost 70% were like, why, why would I even bother involving them? And of course my response back was, well, why wouldn't you? Um, and this idea of helping understand hiring, because think about recruiting, right? For a second, you go ask a recruiter to hire a scrum master level three. Well, what is that? You know, <laughs> um, and why a level three? If the if the team and the recruiters don't understand the frameworks or the intentions of it, they'll just post the job, right? And work with you as a hiring manager without questioning well, why is it a level three? Why isn't it just a scrum master? Or, or, or why aren't we filling this role internally? So I think that that's a big piece of this is, is the, you know, recruitment, compensation, rewards. Um, and I don't know you guys, I mean, I'm sure in your experiences, um, I'd be curious to see where you've bumped up against those things. Yeah. So I am, um, I, you know, we you go into an organization and they say, yeah, we want to be agile. And you're like, okay, what does that actually mean? And you're trying to figure out what problems you're trying to solve. And generally it comes down to, well, we want a culture. We want to create a system where Agile can thrive. And when you think about what makes up a culture, I think of a lot of it as like hiring, firing, promotion, right? Like that system you put in place really does create the culture within your organization. And that's a huge part of HR. And how do you put guardrails in place to that um, cultivate the culture, the mindset that you're looking for? And so but to your point, like, why wouldn't you have HR? Like, I think that's a necessity to be thinking from an HR standpoint when you go into changing the way you're going to work. Um, I, I can't imagine doing it without without including HR. Yeah. And it's hard, too. I mean, it's tricky in the profession. Sorry, Jeff. Um, it's, it's tricky because there is, you know, you think about what's happening right now with COVID um, and the CARES Act that was just launched. That, to me, you know, while very important, you know, to, to take care of, of employees and employers, um, those are the types of eventful things that often derail an HR team's opportunity, especially in, in smaller organizations where you don't have the specialized areas. You're trying to implement a law and get into compliance quickly. It, you know, it's very difficult to then also be the owners and the stewards of a company's culture. So why I bring that up is if you've shared ownership and shared kind of responsibility for cultivating the behavior models and and equipping people to deal with a lot of this, you know, day-to-day coaching and leadership themselves, when something like this happens, you're not so fragile as a support function. You're able to say, okay, here's our focus now. Um, but everyone can manage the other stuff while the business continues to run. And I think that's where just from an organizational culture standpoint, HR side, if you have set up these silos, um, when things hit like COVID and, and some of the repercussions, organizations really struggle and and they lose their um they lose their focus when you when you were talking earlier you know that the the that servant leadership model really really came to mind and i, I know that was one of the things that you want to expand on but um for the the great organizations that i've i've, I've worked with and in particular the great teams that I've, I've had the privilege of working with um the the hr team and i'm thinking specifically like uh Amy and Amanda are the two names that, that come to mind are just, you know, rock stars in their field. Um, they were always there to provide a, a service to the team. So when when we were doing hiring, right, it was we we had HR specialists that were there to, to support our teams, but our teams were the ones that were doing the interviewing, right? 
Um, it was the, the HR specialists who were helping coach the teams. Hey, here's some of the things that you might want to be drawing out of, of these people. And, and of course, you know, the team members were more like the beer test, right? Like, would <laughs> I want to go out for a beer with this person after work to make sure that they're a good fit for the team? Um, but, you know, Amy and Amanda were there like, hey, hey, Jeff, you might want to think about throwing this type of question out there that might, you know, and here's what you're really looking for in the type of answer that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just like those those coaches. And again, that's that service that they were thinking of. Here's my role and not because um, like I think the, the the dramatic other side of that is the cynical view of HR where they're just we're just filling butts and seats. Right. We yeah. just need to get people in the door and get them placed. And that's yeah. our metric of success. Yeah. Wow. I, I love what you were just saying too about the the service and servant leadership model. Cause one of the things that I think gets a, a bad rap about servant leadership is oh, I do everything for everybody. And and what you just described so beautifully was uh, a servant leader is someone who's there to coach, teach, and equip others and to help them raise the bar, um, build on strengths and really um kind of you know be a trailblazer to help people see that this is something you can do, um, which then you know, lifts people up. And and it's interesting, like I, I referenced my first job experience and I recognize how unique it was 20 years ago with the hiring practices. I mean, we grew from 300 to a thousand people in nine months in Pittsburgh, wow. you wow. know, in 1999, 2000 in technology. I mean, wrap your heads around that. Right. Um, but what was cool about it is we had a team-based approach to hiring and, and we were very focused on, of course, technical competence, also on values and and how people resonated with our company's values and how they would be to to work with and and a team sport and there were times you know that somebody could come in and and be just most amazing experience but something about their you know ego was too big or they weren't really able to answer questions about our company values and what they meant to them or how they would personally relate to those that we would make decisions and sometimes tough decisions to say even though this person's the best technical or experience-based person, they're not going to be the right person for us. Um, And I feel like that approach also helped us get to a more diverse and inclusive work environment because so many voices were included in the process. And I think what I like about Agile and when I talk to HR teams about um, the benefits of the Scrum framework and the values and how it's, to me, very additive to any company, it's also, this is a solution to me around inclusion because you're getting more people involved, you're inviting in a cross-functional skill set, you're getting more fingerprints on the work. Um, and that breeds to me inclusion and diversity of thought, of experience, because you're not just saying you're only the tester or you're only the HR person. It's this team effort around a shared goal that I think gets at less initiative-based stuff from HR around engagement or inclusion. It's really about a wholesale kind of DNA change for companies. So is it more, would you say, facilitation than it is dictation? I don't know. Maybe yeah, I love not. that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I, it's funny. I had a team uh, here in Pittsburgh in a healthcare system. And I remember, so my model of HR was always business partnering. Like I love we're account managers on most days and we're salespeople when we need to be, but it's very much the relationships. And I had a woman, a uh, young woman in her career. She's like, well, why would I go out and talk to the business? Or like, why would I go to that meeting? And she's like, I'm just here to answer calls when there's an issue, you know, or, or help them interpret a policy. And to what you just said, it was like, Oh, like, how's that going for you? How's your satisfaction? Um, and it is, it's more about let's help coach and equip you as leaders to lead your business. And and we will dictate when we need to like, Hey, you know, Jeff, that's illegal. <laughs> like, or, you know, or if we go down this path, you know, are you willing to stand next to me on the witness stand 
for our decisions, but for the vast majority of it is about consultation. And I think there's some comfort in being the expert, right? That's why I cringed a little bit when you called me an expert. Cause I'm like, nah, it's more about expertise and sharing. It's, it's less about, um, one size fits all. And that's the big shift for agile HR is realizing there's not a recipe and, and standardization for standardization sake doesn't always make sense when it comes to, you know, recruiting or compensation or, or rewards. Yep. Yeah. That's one thing that I've always struggled um, earlier in my career. A lot of my HR experience was we make the rules and uh, you follow them. And we would have these policies and and I, I'm always, I was always kind of a rule breaker and, um, and I would, if I didn't understand them, I was out, I'd be, always be questioning, you know, why this, why that, you know, this doesn't make sense in this situation. I'm like, well, we can't cover every scenario. And I'm like, well, then why even have a policy? Let's just have conversations and make the right decision for the people at the right time. And that seemed to be kind of a boat rocker or something that would, you know, rock the boat at that time. Um, and so I just think that that's a, that's a great thing to think about from an HR standpoint, or really just from a leadership standpoint, or what kind of culture you're going to put in place. I guess I feel that so much can be solved by transparency. Like, mm-hmm. why do you need a policy on vacation expenses, etc.? like, or whatever the thing might be, like, if we just make it transparent, and can't that just solve things? I don't think people go out trying to abuse the system. They just do what they think is right. And sometimes if you just make it transparent, they see where, oh, I'm going outside the norms and I need to correct myself or somebody needs to shine a light on that. And then that, and then we'll correct it. And in the future, we'll, we'll do something different. So uh, what are your thoughts on that type of a policy? Like, just- how, how agile of you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I agree. And I, it's interesting. You think about, um, I'll make a broad assumption that, that we're all adults, right? At least, you know, by letter of, of the law. Um, what you just described is why do we you think about this, right? We we assume this is like theory X, theory Y stuff, right? It's we assume that people um, are lazy, don't want to work, you know, can't be trusted. If if that's our assumption about people, then 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 why are we hiring people? And some people make a lot of money, um, and we're trusting them with you know big decisions and 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 things that are critical to our business. And yet, to your point, we we can't really trust you to to take time off, or we can't really trust you to dress appropriately. So we're going to put policies in place. And it's, it's a risk mitigation strategy. And I get that, you know, there is some level of there is some things we have to protect the company from. So if we mitigate that risk, the rest of it, I need to mention the the Netflix uh, culture handbook. Um, I love that one. I love Nordstrom's as well. It's kind of like basically, you know, do what's right when no one's around to tell you what to do. Um, and it's this assumption that as adults, we can be responsible trustworthy, um, give me guide rails to your point of like what's out of bounds, but otherwise trust me to do that. And I, it's funny, I was coaching, I'm coaching or I was coaching a doctor here in Pittsburgh, a very, very senior experienced man, uh, just brilliant, you know, scientist and, and researcher. And he said, you know, they trust me to, to do work in the ICU and to, to run critical care and do all these things. But if you would be amazed what it takes for me to order a new desk chair and <laughs> And I just said, I'm not surprised, you know, so here's someone who's saving lives, but the, the bureaucracy outside of even HR, the, the bureaucracy creates constraints that doesn't allow someone to function as an adult. And I I don't know about you guys, but I think that's a lot of the work that I love to do is helping organizations deconstruct why they have the procedures and policies in place in the first place. And sometimes they just have never looked at them, you know, startups are maybe a little easier. I don't know if you guys have worked, you know, different industries, but I think the ones that are 
easier. Well, sometimes in IT, it seems like in the startups are like, oh, we don't even need to bother with that. And you're kind of like, you kind of do. But I don't know, what's been your experience with companies making those changes, even outside of HR? So I was, I was curious, um, as, as Jeff was talking about this earlier, and then you, you started adding on top of it, um, almost a natural distrust. And I don't know if the distrust is the, the starting point or as organizations start to work in silos, um, mm. which, which of those two kind of comes first. And so Jeff, you were talking about like pushing against the boundaries that were all up there, or having ownership of things like, granted, we're talking about HR, but we could just as easily be talking about testing or the PMO department or anybody who has ownership of a thing and then anybody else outside of the organization wanting to change the thing, right? There's just this natural tension that occurs um, when we start to assign ownership of certain things. And so exactly like what you were just saying, like, is it is it complexity of scale when we're talking, like when, when organizations get big, or is it just when we start to assign individual ownership of things and thus starting to um, uh, build the build silos? So- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me think, Jeff, listening to you talk, it's also, so there's almost two things there. There's the ownership piece, which can equate to status. Um, and so a lot of organizations, when you become a certain title or you take ownership of something, there is a status that comes with that, that you maybe have never had before. So I think there's, there's something to play with there around um, what does ownership actually mean? Um, and, and if we are siloed up then to say, well, this is ours, this is our lane, how is it serving the company's bigger purpose and mission? And, and if we have goals gone wild where everyone's kind of incentivized to achieve their goals without some shared uh, shared ownership towards something generative for the whole company, I feel like that then gets into this toxic, weird cycle of performance and pay and hiring and going after headcounts because it's it's tangled up in status, in identity. Um, so when you talk about change, people like us who are change catalysts and want to help things get better, right? Because the reason I do this work is not to say everyone is bad and things are awful and let me fix you. It's more things could even be better, right? We could have even healthier workplaces and more engagement if we did these things. But sometimes people are so invested in my title, how many people report to me, what my span of ownership is, my budget, um, and their identity is is um, rooted in that. Their personal identity is rooted in that. So when we come in and start talking about Agile and Scrum and descaling and empowering people, that can be a threat to some people. And that's not for us to fix. That's you know psychologically embedded in them. The role of a coach, though, I think, is to help people see the shift towards a more shared leadership model where they're more they'll be even more successful, right? If they can let go of that control. So I think that's a big role that if HR can shift into understanding the intentions of the mindsets, the intentions of Scrum and frameworks for delivery, it changes the whole conversation. Yeah, I I like that. Um, I don't think there were anyone saying like no controls or like it's the wild west and you can't and that's wide open. Um, when I talk to teams about this, a lot of times I think of like delegation poker. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's yes. um, there's like seven cards and it starts from like a tell all the way to delegate. And I think you could use the same thing from an HR standpoint, like my teams or my product area, like there's certain things from an HR standpoint, we're going to tell you, you need to do this because it's the law. And there's certain things over here that we're going to say, we have some guidelines and maybe we want to be consulted. Maybe we'll agree on something together. Maybe we'll let you guys, we'll let you delegate this completely. You own this and this is exactly how you're going to do it. But I think making that very clear to teams and where those lines are is, is 
really what the organization needs to do. Because once you have those boundaries and you know what you're accountable for and what you can change, a lot it gives you a lot of um, area for innovation to happen. I love that. So I'm cheering if, if this video isn't showing, I'm literally cheering because I think I love delegation uh, poker and, and helping people with that because of what you just said. And and I think what's interesting is when you bring um, different people together and seeing like their comfort levels with, you know, what do you stand to gain by delegating more? What do you stand to lose? Um, helping people process that. But then when you're, you know, in HR in our profession for the 20 years I've been in it, there's always this, um, you know, we got to get our seat at the table and we need to be more strategic. And, and my attitude has always been just sit down, you know, start asking questions, understand the business and and, and go. Um, I feel like this is a very strategic um, move for people if they can embrace this. And I've worked with lots of HR leaders um, over the last couple of years who, once they get it, they're like, ah, I don't want to go back. And I, I want to have that relationship with the business. And then the decision delegation feels like um, empowerment right? So when we talk about what does it mean to empower people, that's like a check, you know, check, we're empowering people, we can actually show that we did that. And then when we can't delegate things, or we have discourse, right, that invites what dialogue and conversation to shape the culture together versus having like two camps who disagree to say like, oh, we can't trust this person. It invites, you know, I feel like Scrum in particular as a framework invites so much um, good conversation, but it also elevates all the funk. As I say, you know, your company's funk will come out pretty quickly. Not, not the good type of funk. <laughs> no, one that's so bad. Um, but if you can deal with it and say and ask yourselves, you know, why why is this true? You know, and and why do we do we still believe this? And if it is something that's just just is, then just say it is and move on and do what you can where you are versus this blame shifting thing that happens in a lot of companies saying, well, it's the framework or it's HR's fault or it's leadership, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute, is that true? Um, and I think the more we can involve people in the decision-making, the greater chance of success you have when you start working in an agile way or using frameworks like Scrum rather than, trying the frameworks and then realizing you're bumping up against all the stuff in your company. I don't know. I, I just wonder sometimes if you know, I teach a class through IC Agile, uh, it's uh, agility in HR, it's a certification. And one of the things we talk about uh, a lot in that program is that there's no recipe, right? And that it's okay to have different approaches for different teams um, and that HR can help organizations succeed more by not being prescriptive. Um, that's a big mindset shift. I know in IT, it's the same way, you know, I, I, the traditional, you know, capital expenditure projects and change control boards. I mean, I've worked at some big banks and it's like, it's a big shift, you know, for people. It is. And, you know, back to your why, like, why, why would a leader want to sign up for this? And, yeah. and it's like, well, if you, if you, command and you control, you're going to get compliance, but you're not going to get innovation. And you're going to be doing the same old thing that you've always been doing. And so if you want innovation, and if you, I'll steal a quote from one of the, the people that I just love in, in our community, uh, Gary Hamill, and he talks about how he predicts the greatest innovations over the next 100 years are going to be within the way we organize people around work. And so if your management structure, your HR structures, if you want to innovate on those things, you need to open up 
that to more people to get more diverse ideas and and play with that. And those are ones that last the longest, like um, pricing models, uh, different technologies. Those get copied really, really quick. But the culture of an organization, that takes a lot to copy. And and even when people try to give it away sometimes, like I'll, I'll go look back at like Toyota, Mm-hmm. where they've done this, where they've invited GM and Ford to come in and like be part of their plants and done these collaborative things together. And they still can't reproduce exactly what Toyota does, like in their culture. And right. it's like, sometimes like that can be that special sauce. You just have yes. to cultivate that. Right? Well, and think about where does that come from? Why is it special? It's the unique mix of people that happen to be there. Right. So it's this, it's, it, I always talk to people about be you, right. You know, be the best version of yourselves. Don't try to imitate, right. There's things to learn from Toyota. There's things to learn from GE. There's things to learn from everyone. It's then, but who are you, right? And who are you comfortable being? And I feel like what you said too about um, the the kind of specializations and organizational model shifting, I have been on a kick for a long, long time about everyone is responsible for HR, right? And, and people, right? Because ultimately we're all... Um, I, I don't want to say the word customers, but we're all part of the employment experience, CEO, all the way down to the most entry level person. And if we see ourselves as responsible for what that experience looks like, sharing it together, there's a greater chance for, I feel like engagement, um, actual success, actual ownership and like good citizenship in companies when you've invited more people in. And some people are like, well, you're never going to please everybody. Well, that's not the point. The point is, doing enough and and reflecting and inspecting and adapting as you grow and change and add new people. Um, that to me seems a model for resilience and that, you know, make it easy for people to choose to come to work with you and share their time and talents with you and recognize that people are going to leave, you know, and, and that when they leave, the, the hope is they're going to speak well of their experience with you and then they'll send other people your way. So, so worry, worry about retention. Sure. Um, worry more about engagement while they're there. Um, even if it's for a year, I mean, I've stayed places for a year and in traditionally look at that and say, Oh, you know, she left after a year, but what did I do in the year that I was there? Right. And, and, and don't look at so much as tenure, look at it as contribution. And I think to what you just said that plus everyone having some ownership of, not just HR, but, you know, I understand HR, but I also understand finance and supply chain and IT and marketing and sales cycles, that that generalist mindset of business acumen. Why wouldn't we want more people that were well-rounded like that? That was hard to say, well-rounded. <laughs> <laughs> there were uh, two things in there that I, that I wanted to quick comment on. One was, um, you know, it, every, everybody's involved in, in HR. Everybody kind of owns that experience. And tying that back in with what Jeff was just talking about with Toyota was, you know, every everybody was accountable for quality. Everybody had mm-hmm. access to the Andon cord, right? Yeah. Like anybody could pull that cord at any moment to shut down the line if they saw something um, that needed to be addressed. And I think that's that opens up and creates accountability for people by empowering them. Like you are empowered to make the right decisions about things, whether that's how we hire and bring somebody into the organization, how we hold each other accountable for the culture that we've got here, or how we ultimately usher people out of the organization and out of out of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's that's a really powerful message to say everybody's involved in that in the same way everybody's involved in quality. Everybody has access to the end on cord. Yes. Um, the other thing that you you had mentioned, and it's been so long since I've even 
even thought about this, but again, I mentioned those two rock stars earlier, but they were big advocates of, we, we shouldn't be worried about this attrition rate, like whether somebody stays with us for one year or 10 years, it's it's about the quality of life that they had while they're here, because those are going to be the advocates when they move on. And just because this organization is the right fit for you right now doesn't mean it's going to be the right fit for you a year from now. Like your life is going to change. Maybe maybe you're adding children into the mix. Maybe you're adding grandparents into the mix. Maybe you're just choosing a different direction for your career. Um, be what we want to build is a solid brand with our employees so that they can be brand ambassadors after they leave the organization. Um, and that's just as important as any of the marketing that we're putting out there on LinkedIn or any of the uh, monster or whatever the job hosting sites are nowadays. So um, yeah. I, I just think that's such a powerful message to take away for people. It's about the the culture and the brand recognition even afterwards when they leave our organization. Yeah. And, you know, you think about two people leaving. Um, you made me think, Jeff, uh, listening to you talk about that, there will be people, you know, who will not like or enjoy Scrum, right? Or this idea of whether at whatever level or won't enjoy the agile mindset shift, they won't enjoy that, you know, and, and even if, you know, so I'm a big advocate of don't do change to people, really invite people in and do change with them. So when you're thinking about changing the ways that you're working or bringing in new frameworks, involving people in the change so that they have a chance to not just understand it like, hey, we're telling you, it's come experience it, screw it up, you know, we'll make it safe for you to try this on. Recognizing that there will be some people who just aren't going to like it and making it okay for them to not not shame them into like, how, how could you not, you know, and, you know, don't you understand? I've seen too many uh, agile coaches almost start to shame people for not getting it because we, we all, and I won't speak for you two, but we love this and it's very passionate and we know the good, but also making it okay for people to say, I don't like this. I think I want to move on from this. And, and, at, you know, being respectful of that. And I don't know in your experience where you've seen that happen, but I think we can be somewhat um, blinders on about these agile and scrum uh, shifts because we know it's so joyful for us. We can't assume that everyone's going to like it. And I think making it okay for people to choose to leave because a change was done that they weren't good with doesn't make them bad people. Like, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things I coach people on is like, you should evaluate, you know, today was the, you had an offer on the table to start this, this job you've been working at for five years or 10 years or whatever length it's already been. Would you take that same job knowing what you know now? Like, would you take this job saying, I want to work here for the next year? Or if you had multiple offices on the table, would you take something different? Like, don't let just getting comfortable with something be the reason why you just stay at a job. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of organizations I don't know it's, if it's because we're in the Midwest and like, especially it feels like the further north in the Midwest you go, like people get this Midwest nice and they just like don't want to change or they don't want to address conflict. And so they just kind of get comfortable staying in a certain organization. Um, sometimes I see people there 20, 30, 40 years in, and even in IT and it's like, wow, that's a long time. Has this organization really grown at the same rate that you've grown throughout your career over the last 30, 40 years? Like, or did you just get comfortable and just deal with it. And sometimes people just, they get uh, demotivated or they just, they just kind of say, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do. And um, they maybe don't agree with the change. They've seen a lot of change and they're like, this is just going to kind of pass. And so they don't, uh, they don't really gravitate to it. And usually when I start an organization, I try to look for the people that are really excited and start with the people that are ready for change, Um, go deep and narrow in an area, show that it works 
spend a lot of time with them, usually mm-hmm. attracts some type of attention and the people are like, oh, I want to be a part of that. And so kind of people in the middle all are on the fence, you know, they want to pull along. And then the people that are like detractors, generally they either self-select out or it comes pretty obvious that, yeah, this might not be the right organization for you, you know, down the road. And so they kind of find their way out. Um, and that happens. And I think that's that's natural and that's okay. Um, and, and it's not like, I like to think of, uh, organizations that we go to work at, they're like, more like professional sport teams than they are like families. Uh, there's this analogy of using, you know, we're a family here at this organization. And I don't know that I like that analogy because we don't fire people that are a part of our family. Like we always love them. We always accept them for who they are and you don't ever change that. Um, but a team like a professional team, it's like, you know, sorry, like it's what have you done for me lately? And we're going to try to make the best team possible to, you know, accomplish our goal, our purpose, and um, there's a value prop there. And so I think those are things that real conversations that are happening in the organization and people talk about stuff, but not everybody's aware that those conversations happen like a professional sports team probably has. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. It's reminding me why I started this business um, so many years ago and and what we do is. Um, so loop, uh, is our, is our company and, and the idea of, of looping together, um, the three worlds, right? So the, the delivery side frameworks, you know, execution models, um, scrum being our primary focus, but we also, you know, bring in Kanban and other methodologies, but, but, you know, looping that together with, um, leadership, the verb, meaning self-leadership, helping people lead themselves, lead others, coaching capabilities at, you know, all levels of an organization and, shifting the people operational side of things to allow these ways of working to thrive. So that's why I'm just listening to you. I'm like reaffirms why I think the strategy makes sense because absent any one, right. You can do scrum and agile and coach and do better delivery. Right. And yet if you haven't done the work on leadership, competency, behavior, change development, or HR, you get better. We kind of say better sameness, you know, maybe a little bit faster, a little bit more innovation, Similarly, if you're only focusing on the culture and the leadership models and stuff without dealing with your delivery model or HR, again, it's that repeating cycle. So for us, it's always, always together. Um, Although most engagements don't start that way, you know, you kind of have to retrofit everyone to say, no, no, let's, let's go together. Um, That's where the power comes. And I think for me, watching organizations with people like yourselves and others passionate we want to create a great environment. We want to do innovative things together. We actually want to be a part of something special. Um, when they bump up against things, it's so frustrating. And so I've kind of gone on this personal mission to say, like, work doesn't have to suck. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's my one slightly bad word for the podcast. <laughs> work doesn't have to be this miserable place. And that, quite frankly, if we can do more about how do we empower ourselves um, and less about being in drama, um, you know, this idea of, of victimhood, almost like the company is doing this to me or the leaderships, you know, when people get almost that in place vacation mindset, like I have no say here. Um, Jeff, you said something about long-term employees, you know, a challenge that I've gone to a couple big organizations where the 30 year employee, when you take them through a scrum, you know, scrum foundations class, they, they catch it like on their heart and they're like, I want to do that. You know, it almost reinvigorates them to say, I've been kind of bored and kind of stuck here, but I have a pension or I've got tenure. It almost reignites people. So it's a nice bridge between younger workers who are more used to this and the generations that may be a little older than me. 
don't know. It's kind of nice. It's a nice way to bring people together. Yeah. I've also heard people that have been, you know, an organization, let's just say 30 years or more uh, say like, Oh, so you just want us to go back to the way we worked when I like started out out of college, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Isn't it funny? And do you wonder, like, I wonder a lot, like, I have my theories about like getting away from that. So 20 years ago, it felt like I worked this way. And then we, as Jeff was saying before, we siloed up, uh, we got into the resource management game and like got just weird for a while. And then now we're going back to what feels like, oh, this feels like, like you said, 20 years ago. Um, Just funny how that happens. I I wonder what, what your theories are. I don't know. I have my own. (laughs) Um. I, I don't have a theory on that, but I was going to ask a different question. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry, Deb. <laughs> okay. No, that's okay. Um, you, you mentioned change models a few times now. So uh, Rob really turned me on to uh, the ADCAR model. And I was just curious, like, uh, what, what, what do you use? What do you suggest from, uh, you know, understanding change uh, as, a, as a construct or a framework and then getting, you know, buy-in from each of the different stages? So what, 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 which do you use? Yeah, I I would I will just admit I'm not any one frame I'm framework agnostic in that um, I think there's lots of good frameworks I, um, I so I use the language change leadership and so I focus more on how we lead change and how we invite others to be a part of the change so less about a model for change but you know like Ken Blanchard um, the Blanchard organization has some wonderful frameworks um, around change. And uh, that coupled with some of the work that I do in a program called Three Vital Questions, which is around um, transforming workplace drama, but really about um, where we put our focus on outcomes um, versus problems. So I think there's this this shift of mindset of just inviting more people in to be part of the change to begin with. So shared goals, shared ownership, um, less about a model, Jeff, more about the way we construct the um, engagement as we're getting started and inviting inviting people in to be a part of it and what their role is as change leaders. And that's often the work we we get to do is helping people shift from that management mindset or that command and control mindset into a shared leadership mindset where you are spending more time coaching and teaching and equipping people to achieve results as opposed to giving them a bunch of um, tactics and techniques to say, okay, now it's time to send this communication. That's all very important. First, we're going to do the inside work to shift how we see and think about people and about situations to lead differently so that when we start initiating a change, we're always thinking about outcomes. Um, We're thinking about uh, our assets. Um, How can we use our assets and our strengths to deal with issues? Um, How do we want to involve people? How do we want to retrospect more um, and are we aligned to some shared vision, values, things like that? So that tends to be the approach we take is to line it that way before we just start doing change for change sake. So if it's not connected to some greater goal, uh, linked to company values, kind of challenging people there and leading them that direction. So like, why do you want to be more agile, right? Because agile is not your goal. Um, what is it that you're leading towards? Um, and there's wonderful models out there. That just tends to be where I operate from is connecting it to some greater goal or, or bigger purpose. The other thing that I like to ask people too is, yeah, you want to say yes to everything, but what are you saying no to? Because every time you say yes to something, you say no to something and it's unconscious a lot of times. And so I think align people to your, to your uh, point back to the mindset to like getting, you know, this collaborative working environment and working towards some common vision or 
when you're doing that, you should also say, we're also saying no to this, even though this might be a great opportunity or a good opportunity, this is where we're going. And I think that get, helps give people permission that we don't have to do everything all the time. So I think that's an also an important thing to set up early when you're, when you're starting an engagement. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, you talked or you asked me about agile in HR. I feel like as a leader of, of function, um, which is diverse. I mean, there's so much going on between, you know, hiring and retention and development and payroll and benefits and legal and, 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 and there's so much going on. Um, the, the ability to make transparent, one of the things that I I'm proud of that I did, um, I got into a small team where we had very limited experience, a very hardworking team, but very limited experience. And then I come in with 20 years. So like, you know, fairly big gap, but there's just a lot to do every day. So we started using Kanban board every day and we had it visible in a public area for the company. It's like, here's all the stuff that we have to do. And I mean, on any given day, it's, you know, onboarding new hires, uh, paying the bills, reconciling pay, whatever it was. And there's three people and we would um, use the method, right? Like what's our to do today, limiting our work in progress, what's blocked, what's getting done. And what we were able to do was show not only ourselves, cause we were, we were stressed. I mean, like I, it was not a good master clock as a leader. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what did I sign up for? This is crazy. Um, but this idea of making our work transparent gave our team empowerment. So when their boss quote unquote boss was having a freak out, the team would say, okay, but what can we do today? <laughs> you know, and then um, making visible to our leaders to say, this is why this is only as fast as we can go. So how do we start to share some ownership here? And to your point, what aren't we going to do? Like, is the handbook really important right now? Or could we focus more on benefits? Um, is it really important right now to work on whatever it was? And it made it easier to have a dialogue internally to then prioritize our work. And what that led to, why I brought that up was, not only HR initiatives, we were able to get, um, we called it our opportunity investment backlog. So at the executive team level, every functional department as well as operational department was able to bring forth, here's all the stuff that we want to work on this year. Um, Cause the company at the time didn't have goal setting or otherwise we made very transparent. Here's all the work that we want to do, but what's most important first. And then every month we would meet as an executive leadership team to say, how's that going? We've made, committed dollars and people to these efforts, are they still the right efforts and what's new? And we would constantly do the investment discussion together. Our CEO would ultimately decide our focus, but it allowed us to say, you know, hey, Beth, that's a great project for your team. Can you just go do it yourselves? Do you need our support? Just go do that versus now this is company wide and it's bumping up against this thing that's happening in IT. So let's make trade-offs together Versus dumping, you know, HR dumping a bunch of change on people, IT is dumping a bunch of change, and then here's finances, new policy, and oh, by the way, our customers want this, this, and this. That's why organizations, I feel like, get into churn. So from an HR standpoint, not only I think can we use it to run our function differently and less reactively, it's an opportunity for HR to lead the way and help organizations run differently as well. So sorry, that just like went a whole other path, but it just, you sparked, you sparked me thinking about being strategic and using the, the frameworks. Yeah. And that alignment and focus that builds 
right on top of one over the next. I, I like that. And well, another thing I like is that you're not trying to come up with a big 12 month plan. You're evaluated every month. You're saying, are we still working on the right thing? Because it's going to change and you're never going to know two months from now if it's the right thing or not, because you know what? COVID came up and now we need to change our focus. And um, Jeff and I were talking at a previous episode, like if you're working at a company right now and they haven't changed where they're going strategically or from an HR standpoint or from anything, like if there isn't some type of change going on in your organization from where you started off first quarter, like I'd be worried because the world has changed over the last month and um, you should be changing and you should have process in place. You're asking people what to do different. You know, there's this like, granted, I mean, I have pride in things I've created too. And I'm like, yeah, that's my big idea. And I'm so proud of it, but it's not, it's not, you know, anything other than that's ego, right? You know, so if we can contain our egos and say, let's ask people, what do they want? Um, you know, you made, I joined a company and they were like complaining about, um, oh, employee like engagement and recognition. And there was a committee and they were like, aren't you going to run the committee? And I, I would tell you, I like, I am not the, the, I'm a cheerleader for people, but I'm also not the one to plan. Event. I'm not a good event planner. I'm just not good at it. <laughs> and I said, well, what if we, um, what if you all took this on and it wasn't a committee, it was a team of, of people who care. You talked earlier about Jeff, the, uh, the HR rock stars, you know, that were ambassadors uh, and looking to create ambassadors. Let me find the ambassadors, give them ownership of, well, what does, um, what, what do you want our wellness program to look like? You know, here's some basic boundaries of budget and constraints, but what do you want to do? Um, what do you want to do for recognition? What do you want to do for community involvement? And, and strategically, that was a talent development move, right? These were people from the business that learned um, how to write a proposal, how to manage a budget, how to rally people to a cause. And none of them were in management roles. They were all individual contributors. But I was able to then say, well, based on what you've learned, you now have skills that you got by being part of the engagement team or part of the community involvement team, right? And so using these approaches of involving more people, as a strategic move for developing people. So it's not always about a training class. It's about putting people just like inviting people onto scrum teams. Uh, people say, well, you know, you can't have Jeff on that team. He's, he's not a good performer. He won't do well there. How do you know until you invite somebody in to try something different? So I feel like from the HR side of this, I feel like there's so many um, boxes we get to tick if we start to shift our mindsets, but also working with folks like you all and in the business who want to be more agile. I just feel like there's so much good to do. So can we can we buckle up and go into the danger zone for a few minutes here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Wait, let me get. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but um, I want to talk about firing for a minute. Uh, yeah. Because this is this is one of the soapboxes that I that I tend to get out, and I, and I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's likely an unpopular opinion, but I think we put up with way too much BS from people because we're so afraid of letting people go. Um, and I think a big piece of that is because there's such a negative stereotype uh, around that word firing. But let's let's just throw that word aside and think about it as finding the right home for people. Like I think Beth, you were talking about earlier the. the um, not everybody wants to be part of this change, right? Some people like the the way they're working, but that is not going to be an option anymore in this in this future state of this organization, this team, whatever whatever we're thinking about. Why why on earth would we want to make this person who doesn't want to work this way get up every morning, come in, work in an environment that they don't like, in a way they don't like, um, but 
not do anything about that. And if we just started with, you know, love in our hearts, some positive intent and saying, we care for this person, let's just find the professional way to get them in the environment that they want to be in. And that is not here. Why there's such a negative stigma around having that conversation. It just, it blows my mind how how people will bend over backwards not to have such a direct conversation with people in this regard. There's so much good to talk about there. Um, I would tend to say, like, I do agree with you. Um, I think there's a couple things to get out of the way first. There is a bit of constraint and we have, and this will be unpopular too, probably. So I'll just join you in this club, Jeff. Um, (laughs) We've gotten a little bit too politically correct. We've gotten a little bit too um, worried about saying the wrong things. And some of that has just been the culture um, of our country. It's also just organizations. It's also laws. Um, so there's that risk mitigation side that we have to be conscious of, you know, those things before we go have the conversations you're talking about. Similarly, I think it's also equipping people to have that kind of a conversation. When I talked about change leadership, that's also about being able to, to ask questions, to be very confident in why you're asking the questions and realizing that initially when you start to ask those types of questions that you're talking about, it may be very foreign for that employer, that person to be asked what they think um, and, and to create that thinking environment to say, well, I don't know, Jeff, you just tell me what to do. You're the boss, right? And so mm-hmm. why I'm going there first with the firing is, you know, people will call and say, well, Jeff's not getting on board. We just want to get rid of him. And as an HR counsel, I would say, well, what conversations have you had? What, what dialogue have you had? Um, what coaching have you done? You know, what, what, what has happened? And usually it's nothing. And to your point, it's, well, I don't know how to have that conversation. Can you just have it for me, Beth? Well, no, let me work with you to help you get Mm -hmm. more confident in your responsibility to understand, you know, why are we making this change? Um, what supports in place for these employees who are uncomfortable, right? Cause when you're, when you're asking someone to change and it wasn't their decision, you can't assume they're going to go from, from I made you aware, now you're bought in. There is a cycle that if you miss giving people a chance to, to screw it up, to fail, to not be happy with it, you're going to do yourself a disservice. And that's why so many changes fail or don't get to their desired results because we forget that part of people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, the softy stuff that everyone's like, well, that's the soft stuff. That's HR's job. You know, once we do those things, though, I feel like we have to have the courage, right? So let me lean into that value from from Scrum Values, the courage to challenge people to say, you know, Jeff, how you're showing up on the team uh, continuously isn't helpful, right? What's going on? Help me understand what's your challenge. What's, you know, well, I just, this is really stressful for me and I don't enjoy this. Okay, well, what could be different, you know, and just getting people to talk first to say, because what might be is that, it's not how it's going on this team. It's that other company I worked at where we tried to do this and I actually did get fired or I believed in this so much and people railed against me. So it's, it's, it takes more time to get at people's fear motivations. But then if you have an organizational culture where internal mobility is a good thing, right? You know, a lot of companies still get weird about people moving around internally to say, you know, if you still really enjoy working in the old way, Let's look at other positions because this isn't going well for you. It's not going well for us, but we want you to stay. We respect you. Um, let's help you look at other opportunities. Well, are you firing me? No, we just we want you to be happy. But based on how this is going, we're going down a path towards maybe performance improvement or maybe a different conversation. 
Um, that's where I feel like going way back to the beginning of our conversation almost an hour ago, HR team members, business partners, understanding Scrum framework, understanding the intentions of it helps them be better counselors to Scrum masters and team members and managers who are dealing with what you're talking about. So I feel like it's this ecosystem that, you know, and having the courage to say you're a toxic team member, this is not working. Um, having the team equipped to tell the team member that they're toxic is a big part of the work that I do so that maybe it's not a management issue. It's a team level thing. So I didn't answer your question directly, but I feel like it's this whole tying together. If you want this to work, there's work to be done to equip people to have these more difficult conversations and remove the emotion from it and have it be focused on outcomes and, and being respectful of people. But also we're here to deliver. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry, I got on yeah. a soapbox there. I can't help that. No, no, no. <laughs> go ahead, man. All right. I want to, I want to jump on something you said earlier. Um, feedback. So um, there's a lot of times where I've seen team members, all of a sudden they start having these conversations with HR about performance, you know, improvement plans and things like that. And it's like, a, it's like a blow from nowhere. Like it's like a sucker punch. And I think that's the biggest service we can have for somebody. And it's not just the manager, it's the team members. It's the, if we're, we're talking in a scrum standpoint, it's a product owner, it's a scrum master. It's everybody who's working with that person on a day-to-day basis, giving feedback and giving it real time. It's mm-hmm. not something we do once a year. It's got to happen all the time. And if you're not doing that and that's not coming out in your retros, not coming out in your day-to-day interactions, something's got to improve there because that's part of your culture that um, that's missing right now. Uh, yeah. But if you're having that feedback and you've got that real feedback and you've had the time to like, wrap your head around it and it's just not working, like I think that there's probably room for many organizations to say, do we want a performance improvement plan or do we want to just give people options? And I like optionality. Yeah. And the yeah. options that I'm talking about are like, hey, you, we could put you in a performance improvement plan. You could have three months to figure out what happens. Or we could give you eight weeks or three months of pay and you could just find another place or we'll just pay you out, you know, X number of dollars and we'll help you find another job because this isn't working. Um, We have a friend of ours that we um, that we were talking to. He owns his own small consulting company, just under 100 people. And he sits down every quarter with every single person yet. And they talk about... um, it's a consulting company and they're like, you know, here's the PL for you as an individual. We need to make this margin to like be profitable or it doesn't really pay to have you as an employee. Um, they're very transparent, like no vacation policy, things like that. So it's like, hey, you took six weeks of vacation in the first quarter. Not, you know, we're barely breaking even on you as an employee. Like this doesn't, this isn't sustainable for us as a company over the, over the period. What, let's, how, what can we do about this? Mm-hmm. And they're having real conversations all the time. Um, and that leads to behaviors changing before they become a problem. So even yeah. if somebody, you know, goes down a certain path, they get course corrected pretty quickly. And I think yeah. you could have those conversations all the time. It doesn't have to be just a small consulting company doing this. I don't know um, why large I companies agree. could do the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, um, listening to you, you know, and it does depend, right? It does depend. I mean, in, in you get into 50 and 60,000 person companies that I've worked in, that, that, you know, systemically that's harder to do, but back to the comment about you can still have in pockets, you know, behaviors happening that maybe aren't systemic. And, and what you said too about options, it gets back to treating people like adults and, 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 and making it okay 
to have these conversations and do truth telling. Um, and, and at the team level, I feel like a lot of the work that I love doing is when I get to work at the team level to help people learn how self-leadership, how to lead yourself, um, how to, you know, you're not there to fix people, but how to have mature conversations about things that are going well and things that aren't going so well. Um, and I think we've just made it, um, kind of difficult in our society to have all the voices heard and, and a lot of people dominate. And then, you know, if it does become an issue, um, that's where I feel like HR can be a good bridge to say, you know, there are options to consider here that isn't just a performance improvement plan because we want people here that are happy. And what we might find out is, you know, I took this job because I needed a job, but what I really want to do is work in um, customer service instead. Well, wait a minute, we have jobs open in customer service. Like let's have that conversation. But I think, we've gotten kind of all tangled up on, you know, rules and worry and and people do need their jobs. And I think that's maybe something we have to think about is even though we assume that everyone is um, free and flexible, we don't know everyone's personal situation. And, and the fact that asking them to take risks or um, think about things not working, I got to fit in, I got to go, go along to get along because I've got a mortgage, kids, uh, taking care of a parent, I've debt, you know, whatever decisions I've made that compounds on, I got to go along with this change, even though I don't like it. So I think maybe my tie around for all the things you're talking about is, is instilling compassionate presence in that I see people, I see you're struggling, asking good questions to help me understand what's going on with you and giving people options. Um, and HR, I think we worry sometimes about unfair treatment or unintentional discrimination and all that stuff. But if, if you know you're not doing that and you can document it, giving people the power of choice, I think is something that we can do to change the world of work. And, and I think that's maybe the most important thing is we can change and mm -hmm. that it's okay to, you know, you want to treat people with respect and dignity and, and have people who want to be with you and, and not be this source of stress in people's lives because the workplace isn't healthy for them. Right. Yeah. So I think I want to summarize what you say. So like treat people in a humane way, give them the real feedback like you would, like a caring friend would. Um, preserve optionality would be some of our key highlights from this, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just and be open-minded to innovation and, uh, and changing. Um, and mm -hmm. those are all things that we want to consider, not just in HR, but like, I guess, um, holistically across all organizations, right? Yeah. And I think just a plug for the HR folks out there that are like, what is the scrum thing? Scrum to me, the framework, whether you do weekly sprints or two weeks, it's a ready-made performance review every week, every two weeks, right? You, If you're doing it well, you're getting feedback. And then I would also encourage for everyone listening to not only think about giving feedback, but how you receive it, right? Because if, if, if you're giving me feedback with the intention to help me get stronger, better, be someone to emulate, if that's your intention behind it, and if I knew that, I'd be more willing to accept it. And I think what happens sometimes is we teach people to feedback people, like, here's your feedback. Um, maybe let's start first thinking about how we receive it before we start to give it to other people. Awesome. So this has been fun. This I has, think we covered a lot of ground. I don't know about we, you guys. <laughs> we definitely have. Um, and we're getting close to an hour. So um, at this point, Beth, is there anything you want to plug on the podcast? Anything you want to promote? Oh, I mean, just, I think promoting just these ways of working is, is the biggest thing. Of course. Um, I think, 
not being afraid of it and, and asking questions. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm afraid of HR, find one rock star like Jeff talked about and go just go talk to that person. And, and similarly, if I have HR colleagues, you know, professionals listening, go learn more because there's so much joy to be had in these ways of working. Um, and then the work we get to do at Loop, um, you know, we're very much about, like I said, tying those things together. Uh, doing a podcast or a webinar on Thursday with Nureva around resilience, but it's really about um, drama, you know, shifting workplace drama to empowerment. So that's um, that's this week. And um, just going forward, I think being conscious of it's more than one thing, you know, as you're going through these transformations, if you're bumping up against something, maybe step back and not just look at the frameworks um, or the delivery side, start looking at leadership behaviors, culture, and HR practices that that may or may not um, be helpful to what you're trying to accomplish. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast, and we'll have to have another conversation in the future. I'd love that. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to The Agile Wire. We are consistently inspecting and adapting ourselves. We would appreciate feedback at feedback at theagilewire.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Store. See you next time.